Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Crops. This week, Jenna and I are talking intentions. We're sharing some of the things on our hearts going into the new year, as well as recapping some of the things we've been up to. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello again. Welcome back. Jenna and I are supposed to be together right now. We were going to film or film, ha, (laughs) (laughs) record an episode together, but the weather had different plans this week. Yes. Mary Pat is in Iowa at the Farm Progress Farm Futures Business Summit, which I am super bummed. I was unable to make the trip. I was sick all day yesterday going back and forth. Do I come? Do I don't? Nebraska got nailed with a blizzard that then moved its way into Iowa and kind of really hung out where Mary Pat is at right now. I feel like actually you guys got more snow than we did. Yeah. We had this weather guy talking this morning and he showed the storm from yesterday and it was like almost like a snow hurricane. It was like moving in a circle and the spot that I'm at, I think maybe possibly got the most snow out of the whole state. There's 15 inches here right now. Yes. And we got maybe seven or eight. And then my brother lives like an hour and a half east of you and they only got nine. So I feel like you guys did get the brunt of the storm. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. The the weather model, it looked like, I mean, obviously it didn't stay spinning there for more than yesterday, but it was right. weird. Just like the circle movement that it was making. But So we got a lot of snow, which I mean, we're Nebraskans. It's not a huge deal, but we have a lot, a lot, like a lot of cows under our care Mm -hmm. on corn stalks right now. And when it snows that much, they can get to the corn, but they can't really, they don't really dig for the other roughage that's in the field if the snow's on top of it. So Levi spent over 10 hours yesterday getting hay to all of those cows and watering them. So I wasn't going to be able to leave until he got home because my mom was going to come help with the kids, but she couldn't get to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, he didn't get home till late. So I was going to drive like a third of the way and stay in Omaha last night. But at the very last minute, my bags were literally packed, ready to go in my car. We decided it probably wasn't worth it because I have three babies at home that need me and braving the storm over those roads for, it was like two hours away, whatever, but it's a six hour drive for me. So we just Mm -hmm. decided it was probably not worth it. I think you made the right decision because it's yeah. not great here yet. People, yeah. some of the speakers couldn't make it. Not, on, I mean, surprisingly, a surprisingly good turnout for the weather. I, I oh, think. good. I was yeah. kind of feeling like a ninny for not going. Like, was I being a baby about this? Uh, <laughs> but then when you texted me this morning and said that you guys got 15 inches of snow, and then Levi's parents told us this morning they were flying out of Omaha that the Omaha roads were super slick. So I'm like, okay, I would not have gotten very far very quickly. That's for sure. No, the heavy, wet snow made for like really rough road conditions. And now they're expecting more snow. And I texted Josh this morning. I'm like, I hope I can get home. (laughs) Kidding, not kidding. Yeah. (laughs) I've loved some quiet, but I actually miss them. So I'm excited to get home after being in the hotel so much. So yes, Mary Pat actually went and I early to kind of beat the storm. I would have had to leave two nights ahead of time to completely beat the storm. And that just seemed crazy too. Yeah. It just wasn't in the cards for me, I guess. Yeah. Especially with 1100 cows at home. Yeah. That's was definitely a kicker. Leave. I was like, I can handle it. I can manage as he's like got a lump in his throat about it. Having all three kids. He totally was, would have supported my decision either way, but I did just have this. I mean, I'm a six, I'm a worrier, but I just had this weird gut feeling about being on bad roads for that long. It's just not Mm -hmm. worth it. Yeah. Well, I wish you were here because it has been so 
uh, informative. And I do feel like we've, we're only, you know, there's still half of the conference left and I feel like it's been worth my time. So I'm really glad to be here and pass some of the information. So I do have like a few key takeaways already to share with you. Yes. I'm excited to hear about it because the agenda was incredible Mm -hmm. and it's not a farm show. It's a farm conference. And so I feel like it was very progressive in pouring into farmers, especially farmers that are kind of in the same phase of life that Mary Pat and I are in kind of like this limbo of figuring out transition and succession and what the future looks like for our individual families and taking on more responsibility on our respective farms. So tell us more. Yeah. So like you said, the agenda has been jam-packed with like a very wide variety of topics. And one of the things I already regret, and I told the Farm Progress girls this, is I went to two like pretty marketing heavy sessions this morning. And I wish I would have done one of the leadership sessions just to kind of get a couple different flavors. But um, it started off with a weather outlook. And obviously coming off of 2023, you're probably thinking a lot about, are we going to have another drought year? The one takeaway that I wrote down to keep an eye on is the northern pers- northern pacific if the northern pacific gets warmer there's a lower chance for a drought and a higher chance for a wet spring so like they're talking about if the el nino fades that warms up the northern pacific faster because right now we're in an El Nino, which I don't understand all of that stuff i honestly. do remember learning about that in fifth grade science but i <laughs> i couldn't tell i couldn't teach somebody about it <laughs> Yes. So if we come out of the El Nino faster, there's more likely that we won't have a drought in your area and in my area and that, uh, but potential for a wet spring and tighter planting windows. So interesting. We had a lot of fog days in December, like scary fog, like you're scared to, I can't see my mailbox fog. And The older generations always say, like, if you have a fog day, 90 days later will be a a precipitation of some kind, whether that's snow or rain. And so we kept having these fog days. And I remember my father-in-law saying, like, geez, if this is right, we're going to have a lot of rain days in March. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that'll be good for soil moisture. And he also did mention uh, having so much snow on top of ground that, like, wasn't really that frozen is actually good because now it's going to insulate. But hopefully it'll soak in better if it's not like already frozen. Right. Yeah. So our ground was definitely not frozen here when we got the snow. Yeah. Same. I don't know how much we got at home. Josh will not respond. Like he's been a terrible communicator while I've been gone. (laughs) So I I don't know what's happening at home. (laughs) I'm sure it's fine. Otherwise I'd get a phone call. But yeah. Are the kids alive? Do we have snow? I don't even know. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And just a couple of the other things. Uh, you listened into the technology one. Did you hear yes. much? I could hear, I got bits and pieces. It helped that I had already, I was already familiar with the topic because they were talking about sea and spray technology, weren't they? They were. And then like a couple of the the really key things that I thought were so interesting is nitricity. Okay. Do you remember um, at the PTI farm? We Well, I don't know. I've never I been. Thanks okay. for rubbing it in. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jenna. (laughs) So I remember them talking about making nitrogen out of lightning, like lightning strikes. Okay. Yes. And so they, this, one of the things that was mentioned was making nitrogen out of solar energy because, like, all of these, there's a lot of solar farms going up. Doesn't matter. Like, the conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's like you can get varying. Very polarizing opinions on that. Right. But one of the, I thought it was very interesting that 
during peak production, like possibly when there isn't enough energy demand and there might be some energy wasted, there's a company that's trying to create nitrogen from that solar, solar energy. power. Interesting. So it would be like otherwise wait. I don't know. It's because right now it takes natural. Is it natural gas to create nitrogen? I have all this written down. Yeah, it relies on natural gas, the process. So right. it's just interesting to think about. Yeah, there's definitely cons. And I'm not saying that I'm for or against all of this stuff, but um, just technology and the thing, different things that they're thinking about through. Tell me more about where they're at with the sea and spray technology. I am familiar with it because two years ago at the Commodity Classic, BASF invited Levi and I to their science behind event. It happens a day before the classic starts. And it was, uh, we actually been to that event twice. One was four years ago, the science behind record breaking yields, and then uh, the science behind this new sea and spray technology. And it was a partnership between like Raven, Agco, uh, BASF, and Bosch. And it was, they had prototypes and they actually had real machines that were working, but they weren't available to farmers. So it's a, a sprayer or a sprayer add-on with cameras that will see and spray. So it sees the weeds and it sprays the weeds only, not the crops. So there's a lot of pros there because you're using less product. Um, I don't know. Tell me your your take or where they're at on the process. So I think the the key takeaway for me from that conversation was reducing herbicide specific usage by 70 to 80 percent which is massive yeah crazy yeah so this was a panel it wasn't like an actual speaker up there talking and they didn't get to all the questions unfortunately but one of the questions was like when will this technology be commonplace Mm -hmm. so i'm sad they didn't get to that question because i would love to know the answer right um but I, i there was a farmer on the panel and he was talking about something interesting too using um variable rate insecticide based on some different soil tests that they have taken like five acre grid i believe okay but um it variable rates their insecticide so they're testing their soil for rootworm dna okay and then applying based on where they have it which i just was like whoa how did i not and maybe i'm just living under a rock but there's so much stuff i feel like when it comes to the technology conversation that i just don't know about well and it takes a lot of years for like you asked to become commonplace that was a question levi and i had too and then obviously levi's first question is okay this is awesome but it sounds expensive so like how feasible Mm -hmm. will this be for the normal farmer Yeah, that's a huge question mark, I believe, too, with all of this that's coming. Uh But one thing that I think could be impactful, and like on last week's episode, Josh was talking about getting into more fields and learning more about our fields. So something that like turned on a little light bulb in my head was autonomous drone scouting or like even just Mm -hmm. scouting with drones in general. We could be doing that. We could be utilizing the technology, um, but we aren't. And I just thought it, it was so interesting. They said that they can see rootworm beetles on corn leaves from drones mm-hmm. and they can also scout half inch tall water hemp plants. That's so small. So from, small. So I just think that's so interesting to, and maybe a technology that we could look at. Mm-hmm. So I want to bring that back and just see like, what are, what are our options? How much does it cost? Is it something that we could like try on mm-hmm. a couple fields? I don't know. That really piqued my interest though. That I agree there when the first time we attended this science behind event, I spoke about four years ago, we had been leading up to that. We'd been a part of a fungicide trial and it was really well done. And they had like third party researchers and they had people come out to our field multiple times. And they, I don't know if it was, it was a drone type thing, but it had this probe that hung down and like 
flew through the corn and then okay. it would get like thermal images to show like plant health of the treated versus the untreated. And then we got like insane images from it and it was so cool, but obviously that's not something Levi and I, these little small farm in Nebraska are just going to invest in, but mm -hmm. there is insane, insanely cool. And, um, uh, beneficial technology out there for that kind of stuff. It's Research just, it's stuff. yes, it's not super common practice yet, but I'm sure when our kids are farming, God willing, those things might be a lot more common. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is mind blowing. And I it feel is. like we always have to keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening yeah. so we can understand like, what is the one thing that we should be looking at to maybe impact our farm for the future? And so. I feel like that's why conferences like this and the commodity and all different things are so beneficial because you kind of get a glimpse ahead of where these farm technology companies are working and working towards. And sometimes that presents opportunities too for farmers like us. If you're around and talk to the right people, maybe get an opportunity to trial some of that stuff early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a couple other things. The the farmer that was on the panel did say, because I asked a question, like what what's the one thing that you feel like was a no-brainer type of technology investment for you. And he said the individual nozzle control on the sprayer, it paid him back in the first year because he wow. sprayed 200 less acres by using the individual nozzle control. And that was with that variable rate spraying for the insecticide? No, that with the insecticide I think was on the planter. Okay. But, um, this was on his sprayer. And I don't know what brand or anything like that that he uh -huh. used, but it was just interesting piece that I picked up. Yeah. Yeah. So many things. The technology part like really gets my blood pump and I'm like, whoa, yeah. that's so cool. But obviously the feasibility of it is a big part of it. That's kind of like knocks me down a few notches. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Same. <laughs> Same. But, I have a but that is something that those companies need farmer feedback on. Like, okay, mm -hmm. this is awesome, but make it, make it doable for us because right. our, we already have enough money wrapped in our inputs. Like this has to return on our investment for us to invest in it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you could hear them talking about encapsulated herbicides, the BASF guy. No, I did not hear that. It was, it's like another way that they're trying to reduce use rate and increase, increase efficiency. So I don't know. That's a brand new thing that I had never heard about until this meeting. So, mm -hmm. okay. And I just have a couple more points and then we can stop talking about the <laughs> business summit, but no, I, I love it. I did a lot on the, I sat in on these marketing meetings and, um, I, we, I'm not a pro in this. It's actually like one of my probably most weak points. And I think we need to do an episode with somebody who's like a professional in commodity marketing. Mm -hmm. um, but the one thing that I took out of it was have a plan, have both a pre-harvest and post-harvest marketing plan. And the speaker like had uh, slides basically with example plans and a, a plan that you could fill out yourself for like when, when you're going to market your crop and what your price objectives are. Um, and he also has done examples of like, he created like two example farmers and did, you know, like a 24 year study of if somebody had a plan versus if they didn't. And for the, like, it's always better to have a plan for the most part. Like there's when you're marketing, there's not ever going to be a perfect plan, mm -hmm. but it's better than no plan at all. And I think that's like that whole idea of just being more organized with how you're going to market your crop, even though I really don't understand it, mm -hmm. is something that I'm going to bring back home and show Josh and like mm -hmm. 
go through with go through those slides with him to see if there's something that we can be doing better. I'll have to look up those speaker slides for sure. That's very interesting. We forward mm-hmm. contract a lot of our grain, but I don't know if Levi has a true marketing plan or if he just knows where the corn's going to pencil out and what he needs to sell it at. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He said it's definitely more important to have a minimum price than a maximum. Like maximum is more just, I guess. Lucky. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's super important to have a minimum so that you're not just holding grain because you want the market to go higher. But if you have a minimum that you're willing to sell at to be marketing it at these different times of the year to be taking advantage and not lose more. One thing I vividly remember Levi's grandpa and dad telling him back when we were dating, because I think I've told this story. Levi was farming a field by himself for the first time and corn had been high and it kind of came down a little bit and it was like five fifty. And he said, I'm holding out for $6. I feel like it's going to go back up. And the next day it dropped 10 cents and it didn't come back up for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So his, I remember his dad and grandpa, I remember his dad saying, remember grandpa always told what to, grandpa told you to do. And he said, I know sell at a profit and don't look back. So like, Know what you're willing to take for a profit margin and then sell if you can and don't wait because you might end up in a sticky situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely, uh, I'm glad I went to those marketing ones. It was interesting. And then something else, I guess, that I took out of the marketing conversation was uh, soybeans are a crop to keep an eye on because of, and maybe you've heard this, but our crush capacity in the U.S. is going to be increasing in the next four years because there's like a bunch, there's a lot of money in soybean crushing right now, which is basically separating the soybean oil from the soybean meal. Oil goes into obviously like vegetable oil for food or biodiesel, which Mm -hmm. the biodiesel market is the one that's growing. And uh, there's a huge biodiesel plant going up by us. Yes. So there's a lot of those projects across the U S and they're projecting a 25% increase in crush capacity over the next four years. And that equals 11 million acres of soybean production. Wow. So, and basically the, the one thing that I saw too on their data was crushing margins have doubled. So, so like 2007 to 2014 is one group of years for soybean crush. And then you go to like 2014 to today and it's, double on average for the most recent years versus that first set of years, you know? Interesting. So it'll be interesting, but I guess that was just something that I took out of it too, is yes, like Brazil has a huge impact on export markets for soybeans, Mm -hmm. but are we creating more of a, of a, like, what do you call that domestic demand for soybeans where our markets are going to strengthen because of that? So very interesting to me to listen to that conversation. We, Brazil's agriculture is so interesting because of their climate. They can actually have three full corn growing seasons. They actually like plant right behind the combine, maybe Mm -hmm. not immediately, but essentially that's what happens because I mean, there's 365 days in the year and you have 120 day growing season, boom, boom, boom. And they're just putting up pivots like crazy down there. There's pivot dealers down there that'll sell like 300 pivots a year because it's just like, constantly irrigation is going up everywhere. It would be interesting to speak with somebody that's, you know what, we just need to find somebody that'll fly us down there and we can just see Brazil agriculture. (laughs) Well, they were also talking about how Brazil still has a lot of pasture land. Mm -hmm. And this was actually in the weather outlook that he was talking about the amount of pasture land they're expecting to turn into crop production in the next, I don't know, 
10 years, I think. I don't remember how many years it was. But the numbers are definitely strong for Brazil increasing overall production. But they're still uh, not a majority corn producer. It's like beans is their money crop, it seems like. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. So our corn tends to be their, uh, their second crop. So like they'll plant a bean crop and then corn will be the next one. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if every farmer there can get that third season. But um, yeah, it was interesting. That is interesting. That is, it's very cool and unique, but I think I would get burned out of that many growing seasons in a row. I kind of like our winter break, uh-huh. shipping the cattle a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, I don't think they have the yields that we do still. Mm-hmm. I don't think their potential is like their ground is not the same as like the Iowa dirt here. Right. So I don't know. Anyway, let's stop talking about the conference unless you have yeah. anything more. But, no, I'm okay. excited to hear about the second half of the conference. Yeah, next is like the succession family dynamic yes, stuff that which, I'm looking forward to. That's kind of what I was alluding to, that it just was a very good fit for the phase that Mary Pat and I Yes. Yeah. And there's a there's like a surprisingly older crowd here. Uh-huh. So I was in, I thought like maybe it'll be a lot of younger people, but I would say that we're still probably the minority at the okay. conference. So yeah. Come on, young farmers. <laughs> Okay, you said you had some news for me. I know. And I've been I'm impatiently waiting since last night. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's big for me, but it's not like, I don't know, uh, not huge. I don't know. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> I quit my job, like, officially. <laughs> Jenna, yay. I know. That's it's so actually been a lot to process through. I cried a lot. I was like, a lot of emotion surfaced going around it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm a labor and delivery nurse by trade. I was a full-time nurse for... Four years, and then the farm just really needed my presence more. And I had we had started all these other side gigs that were just getting constantly put on the back burner because I was working full time night shift, and uh, night shift was actually very hard on my family. But I didn't realize that. And uh, it's kind of funny looking back because when I did step back to part time and then PRN, I was like nowhere close to ever getting a day shift option. Because the floor that I work on has a low turnover rate. So if you you start on nights at seniority, you're usually there five to 10 years. And Mm -hmm. before you get an option for day shift, I feel like just within the last few months, I would have gotten the offer for the first time to go Mm -hmm. to day shift. Or I might, maybe it might not even be it. I might be the next person to get it offered. I think that's what it would be like. Okay. Um, So I mean, when did I start first cutback? I think it's been almost three years. So um, I went part-time for a while and then I was PRN, which is casual or as needed. I was supposed to work essentially one shift a month, which sounds easy, right? Sounds super easy. Like one day a month, it can't be that hard, but the life that we're currently living, it was just literally impossible for me to make that happen. When anytime I had help with the kids, I needed to be doing paying the farm bills or catching up on books for businesses or doing recording with you or social yeah. media stuff or other business. Like I have a lot of other responsibilities. Right. It's not like I live in this like dreamland where I'm just at home doing nothing. <laughs> well, even if you are, you still have like you're a mom and you're managing your yeah. home and you're keeping your house filled with groceries and there's tons of responsibilities all the time. Right. There is. That is so true. Um now, like now the phase that I'm in with like Setson in school and all the things, my mom, I grew up in a divorce and then blended family. And my mom was a single mom for a while with three kids and she worked full time. And I was like, mom, how did you do this by yourself? I just can't imagine doing mm-hmm. this by myself. 
Anyways, uh, it was very hard for me to, I knew I've known deep down for almost a year that it's what I needed to do. And I brought it up to Levi once almost maybe like nine months ago. And actually one of our friends had just had a baby and I had done her delivery and it was beautiful. And it was like such a great, great experience. And then I had the, then we went into harvest of 2022 and we were just like very overwhelmed and Ironically, I feel like there's always a ton of babies born in October during harvest. <laughs> <laughs> all those holiday babies, all the New okay, Year's I'm babies. Like, is that winter? Like, <laughs> like new, it's like the Christmas to Valentine's Day. Then those are like the harvest winter babies. And uh-huh. um, it, it's like hard. I love all of those women that I worked with. Like, I think that was the hardest part. Like, yes, right. I loved being a labor and delivery nurse, but the people that I worked with were just truly incredible and some of my best friends. And it that was the hardest part, I feel like, yeah. was to let go of that. Anyways, I had done my friend's delivery and it was great. And I had this realization that it was it, it was just like not working for my family. And I'm like, oh my goodness, has my husband been trying to tell me this all along? But he was trying to respect that this was the career that I chose and he didn't want to take that from me. So I asked him about it and he was like, no, I think you should keep doing it if you want to. Like, you need to do what you want to do. And so then I was just very conflicted. Mm-hmm. And it's just been like internal turmoil for a good nine to 12 months about I wanted to go in and help, but my family needed me more. And then I'm getting all these messages like, Are you, can you come help? We're drowning, we're drowning, we're drowning. And they're like, my. it's not like I can just say, oh, no work. Sorry. It's like, those are friends that I care about. And I've right. been there. And when you're drowning on the labor and delivery unit, it can get very scary fast. And so then it was like hard not being able to go help. And it was just like very hard on my mental health, I feel like. So I finally got up the nerve to just admit that that was kind of the low lying fruit with all the irons in the fire that I have right now. And it was scary too, because if I'm not actively working, then eventually my license is probably going to lapse. And I worked very hard for that. And so that's yeah. kind of, and it's like something to fall back on, but I don't know. I just, yes, that would be a very good safety cushion to fall back on if things go south in agriculture, but we also feed the world. So like there, we're, there you need farmers, right? <laughs> that's what I'm yeah. telling myself. I can tell, I mean, just talking to you about going PRN, it was a hard decision for you. So uh-huh. I can only imagine, but also I understand the mental load of still being partially connected and having yeah. to constantly say no when you feel that re- level of responsibility to those people that you care about. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm glad for you because I hope that it helps just with your, like you said, with your mental load, because uh-huh. all of those responsibilities that you still have are still there. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I did it when I did it. We were actually at the hospital for Stetson and Walker's heart appointments. And then we, I was like, I should just go talk to my boss right now. And then we left and ate lunch and it was just like eating me alive. And I'm like, Levi, can you just take me back to the hospital? We're in town. I just need to take care of this. And I was like feeling good about it. I just sobbed. Oh, <laughs> sobbed. Yeah. I didn't think I would cry, but I don't know when you experience like a life at your fingertips and you're the people that are there with you when you think somebody might die and then they don't and they help save the life and you are like just experience really scary scary things uh I don't know you're like really bonded to the people that experienced that with you and mm-hmm. helped and this and that so I feel like just a lot of that emotion surfaced when I actually spoke the words and I was just like sobbing coming out of the hospital Levi saw me and got out of the car and came and gave me a hug and then I like <laughs> 
cried on and off the rest of the day. Oh, oh man. I was not expecting it to be that emotional. And Levi was like, I just don't understand. And I was just like, I, you don't because you haven't experienced what I've ex experienced. And it's like, that's a hard chapter to close. But I know it was a chapter that needed closed for now. Yeah. But he was there for both all of the births of your children mm -hmm. to know like that's a big deal. I can't, I can't imagine being a labor and delivery nurse and experiencing it's, that every day. It's so awesome. It's not all sunshine and rainbows on no. L and D. Like, I mean, to say it as gently as I can, like sometimes babies die and it's yeah. terrible. Or yeah. sometimes if a mom like loses her baby in utero, she still has to come deliver that baby. And that's what the labor and delivery nurse says too. So there's, it's, I've, I've always said like the good outweighs the bad tenfold, but there's still like a lot of heavy stuff that you experience as a labor and delivery nurse. And I've always said, I think I've said it on here before. I don't know how you could ever work in obstetrics or have had a baby and not believe in Jesus because it's literally miraculous no matter how many times you experience it. Yeah. I and there are so many situations that I remember once a mom asking me like, what just happened? Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, can you explain it to me? And I was like, I'm trying to think of a good scientific way to explain this to you. But like, honestly, that was Jesus. Like it was <laughs> not your time or your baby's time. And Jesus intervened and got you here when you were supposed to be here. So that, I mean, I'm not trying to go down a rabbit hole, but for Harper's birth, my midwife is not like a believer that I mm -hmm. know of, but she told me, you believe in God. Like you've had people praying for you because it was kind of a scary situation. And she was like, I believe that this was, she called it divine intervention, like having mm -hmm. her. So I don't know. It's, I agree a hundred percent. I don't yeah. know how you can do it without God. I could tell Jesus stories for days from the LND. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. So that was my big news. It was uh, really hard, kind of sad for a while, but I know that it's what my family needs. So I do have peace with the decision. Good. Good. And if any former patient that I've ever had or coworker ever had is listening, I love you all to pieces and know that you hold a very, very special place in my heart. And being a labor and delivery nurse was so special, so, so special. And I might end up back in that again someday. Maybe it'll be different when my kids are all in school and it'd be easier to go in and help if it's like, oh, I could come in for six hours when my kids are at school. But with a baby and a toddler and a very, I was going to say needy husband, he's not needy. He just needs help sometimes Yeah, uh, with the farm. It just, that that's just what was best. Yeah. It makes total sense for you, I think. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you're at peace with it. Yeah. Let me, let's hear kind of shift to... Uh, how you were starting your new year. You said you had some intentions or. Yeah. I just thought, you know, this is, we, we did our reflection episode. Is there a few intentions that we can share? And um, I know we kind of shared this. Uh, Jen and I are on a little group chat with a couple of other friends that um, set, or I guess we shared what we were leaving behind in 2023 and what we were bringing into um, 2024. So maybe do we want to share what we're leaving behind first? Yes. Okay. Um, mine are pretty lame, actually. <laughs> Phone time in bed. I just, I get... That's a great one. Everybody <laughs> okay. should do that. Yeah. So I've been uh, plugging my phone in in the bathroom and I have an yes. alarm clock. I, you got that from me, didn't you? Didn't I tell you we do that? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. you did that last yeah. fall. I remember you to tell me that. Um, I started doing it for like the EMF. What do you call it? the electromagnetic frequencies that your phone puts out. It's really not great oh. to have that right next to your head all night. Okay. They also say you should that. shut your Wi-Fi off at night. 
I'm not stealing your thunder. Go ahead. <laughs> I didn't know all these things. Yeah. I feel like we're going on the crunchy end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, it's been going well, except I did fall off the bandwagon here in Iowa. So I need to, when I'm home, I need to be intentional with that. And I have been at home. When I travel, I feel like it is harder, especially if you're like, you're at a conference, you need an alarm, you want to make sure it works. And yes, I feel like that's what, the thing. when I'm at a hotel, I do have my phone by the bed, but at home I plug it in in the bathroom. Yeah. And then the other thing is just over committing during key times of year. I feel like last year I did way better with this, but I have room for improvement. So you got, improvement. you got in trouble a couple of times. <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like, you know, I have done, I did better and now I can do even better. Yes. So I'm excited for that. Yes. Like I'm going to take August off from any commitment to oh, social good. anything. It's going to be my month off. I good. mean, not saying that I won't be present at all, but right. I won't be doing like anything that I have to do. I was planning on taking January off, but we also, we obviously had this conference commitment and then I have another commitment, the first weekend in uh, February. But I think that between time, that two and a half to three weeks, I, I might, I'm considering just deleting the social apps off my phone for a couple of weeks. A lot of people do that this time of year. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. it seems like a good time of year to do it. Yeah. Okay. What are you leaving behind? Well, my first one was my job, which I, yeah. I put in the note with the crying emoji and the broken heart emoji. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then also I just spoke about that, obviously, uh, not asking for help when I'm literally dissolving. I feel mm -hmm. like I get, I just convince myself that everybody else is just as busy or busier than me. And like, how dare I ask for help? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to leave that behind in 2023 <laughs> and also too much unproductive time on social apps. I would oh, hate yes. to know how much time I spent. Like it's, it's hard finding a fine balance when you do social media work like Mary Pat and I like that is our job, but how much of the time that we spend on those apps is for quote unquote work and how much of it is mindless scrolling because it's mm -hmm. easy. The, the apps are designed to suck you in to do yeah. mindless scrolling. So I think we just have to be very intentional every time we click on the app. Like, why am I going to, into the app? Is it for work or is it because I'm bored or is it because it's a, like some sort of addiction? Like, I don't know. I agree with that. I mean, being very much more intentional about that. That is tied to my don't have it by the bed because that's when I do the mindless scrolling is yes. that when I'm trying to fall asleep. And that's so bad too, like all the blue light right before bed. I mean, I, we've all heard that you shouldn't have any screen time, 30 minutes or mm -hmm. more go, before going to bed. Yeah. But then sometimes I'm guilty, like standing in my bathroom in my underwear, scrolling before I plug my <laughs> phone in. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> oh, you're funny. <sighs> oh. Okay. Things that you're bringing in to 2024. You go. Okay. Um, one of them is over explaining. So if someone asks you a question, like, can, I'm just giving an example here. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to give an example. Can we get together Friday night? Instead of explaining why I can't, I'm just saying no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I feel like everybody in the Midwest could benefit from that. <laughs> Because sometimes my, like, if you give your reasoning, I feel like that opens you up to judgment that isn't necessary mm -hmm. because sometimes my reasoning is I want to be home with my husband and my kids and I want to rest. Mm -hmm. And that isn't always like, maybe it's just a self thing that I think people won't think that's a good enough reason, but like, it's good enough for me. And this is like aligning to the goals that I am 
wanting for my own life. Mm -hmm. So I'm just done with that. I'm done with over explaining. Like no is a complete sentence. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's kind of, and just being more straightforward with decisions and answers and just that's along the same lines, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, when I put better social boundaries and social cleanses, so kind of what I said about social media, like having better boundaries around it, around the technology that's in our hand and taking very intentional breaks from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think we're kind of, we can encourage each other on this, Mm -hmm. like setting the boundaries, continuing to have strong boundaries because, um, goal wise, like sometimes your goals don't have to be these like lofty things. Like one of my goals for 2024 is to spend more time with my kids this summer and to go to the beach at the the lakes nearby. Mm -hmm. And Hank brought up to me, I almost cried when he brought this up to me. He's like, mommy, we didn't go to the beach last summer. And I was like, yeah, buddy, I wish we had. Yeah. Because there's this like local beach that is really nice and the kids have fun playing at it, which I could have taken them to it by myself. And I don't know why we didn't. Uh I just don't know if it was our schedule that didn't allow. Anyway, I'm not allowing that for the summer. So (laughs) yeah. In 2022, I made a list of, it was actually when I was leaving Nashville with the group of girls, we were all there. Uh, Somebody had done this thing, like 22 things to do in 2022. 22 for 2022. Yeah. Uh And one of them was I was going to do one special thing with the boys per month, like one new experience. And we didn't do every month, but like in the winter months, it was like the trampoline park or a Mm -hmm. museum or uh, different things. And so I feel like doing something like that or even planning out, I ordered the, it's called the big as calendar. Have you heard okay. of that? Uh-uh. It, it's like a big calendar. It has all 365 days on it. It's not here. Oh, yet. okay. But then you can kind of like plan out your year. That Ooh. would be a way too, where you could intentionally be like, okay, do we have one thing, new thing we're doing with our kids this month or just something to do with our kids? Or like, here's my week where I'm taking a break from social media yes. or whatever and just highlight it and like intentionally plan things. Uh-huh. I don't know. I like that. I do too. I We should do a 24 for 2024. Just yeah, things. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be uh, big major things. It can be little things and it doesn't have to be like recurring things. It could just be something you do one time. One of the things I said for 22, two years ago, was I was going to read six books, which if you're a reader, you're laughing at me because <laughs> you probably read six books in a month. Um, but I hadn't really read for pleasure or really personal development or anything. I was just always in this constant chaos of needing to be on my phone and building businesses mm-hmm. and working and yada, yada. I just never, I honestly hadn't read a book for pleasure, a nonfiction book for pleasure since I read the Twilight series in high school for accelerated <laughs> reader points. So that's how long it had been since I picked up a book for fun. Um, And I have some friends that kind of do a local book club. It's not very formal, but it's like read the book. I didn't read the last two books because it was Harvest and it was just totally not in the cards. Uh, But I just read the book for January and I read it in like two and a half days. It was so good. So I'm going to read more for pleasure this year. That's one of the things. I love that. And I'm replacing my phone time with book time in bed. Yeah. So that's been, I did finish one book this year too, but I had, I was almost done with it. So right. <laughs> I don't read a lot either. So it's hard for me to get into a book. I, this, it. I should, this book that I read, it's Winter Garden by Kristen Hanna. It was so good. I've really heard good things about her yeah. as an author. So the one I brought with me that I haven't really started yet is called 
uh, the love prescription. I've, so, we've read that. I would recommend that to any couple. Wait, is that, did you recommend this to me? And I haven't I read think it yet? so. Yeah. Shoot. I'm sorry, Jenna. <laughs> I've sent the link to so many people. You probably did. And I like, just forget. You vent to me one little thing about your husband, which please do. I'm not saying that's what you did, but like my friends, my family, whatever. I was like, here, read this book. <laughs> read this book. But it's good. So I should actually was, get into it. You, Levi and I read it together. Okay. And it, it's like seven days to a better marriage or something like that. Uh, more into seven days to more intimate. Why can't I talk? More intimacy, intimacy <laughs> connection, and joy. Uh, I, it is an audiobook. So I was going to have Levi like listen to it in the tractor, but then there's distractions and this and that. So we actually in the evening would just read it together. Levi's not much of a reader. He actually you read loves, aloud. How does I that just work? read it out loud. I basically just read it to him. I couldn't do that with Josh. I just. No. I don't think that would be something I could do, but it was hard for me because it's more exhausting to have to read out loud, yeah. but, uh, uh-huh. I feel like they were, it was quick. It's easy. And then I was reading some things and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so guilty of this when they're like giving different examples of different things. Mm-hmm. It's uh, any couple. I recommend it. It's such a good book. Okay. Well, I'll report back when I finish it, but I'm sure yeah. that your recommendation is. We'll Great. go ahead and drop that link in the show notes now. And then again, when Mary Pat circles back. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. One last thing that I'm bringing in to 2024 is just healthier habits. Like I've been cold plunging. We can talk more about that on a different mm-hmm. episode and just more mindful eating, uh, more just like lean proteins at night. Like when I put together a meal, it's just like, we're having a big chunk of meat and a veggie and something else. So I don't know. I'm just trying to lean into healthier habits and having better routines. I like that. I'm trying to do more mindful movement, but I haven't been super successful with it yet. So mm. I need to build that in some way that'll work for me. And I just haven't figured out what that is yet. Yeah. I ha- I wake up at 515 and do that. It's I know like you're a long crazy. time to figure that out, but yeah, I don't know. I just <sighs> turned myself from a night shifter to a morning person in a hurry. Maybe you can help me with that in 2024. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know you take pre-workout in the morning. Maybe I should actually try that. Yeah. It's delicious. I'm it's kind of addicted to it. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll see. We'll see where that leads. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and found some inspiration to set your own intentions for 2024. If you like listening to Beyond the Crops, be sure to leave us a review. It helps us out a lot, and we really enjoy reading all of your kind messages. It helps fuel us and inspire us for more. And remember, if you do leave a review, share us to your social stories as well to be entered for our monthly giveaway. Remember to tune in when new episodes drop every Tuesday and find us outside of the podcast on our social channels linked in the show notes. See you next time.